The Kaplan Community Podcast is a place to catch up with Kaplan Business School alumni. We talk about life after graduation, what we're doing now, careers, opportunities, and future plans. This podcast is exciting because it features alumni who have made amazing transitions. I'm Kieran Howard, the Alumni and Industry Partnerships Manager at KBS. And my name is Dr. Richard Stager, the MBA Course Director at KBS. My name is Louisa. Uh, I live in Brisbane and I've been working as a marketing and supply chain specialist at Valinghold for the last few years. This week's guest is Louisa Klein, MBA class of 2020, joining us from Brisbane. Brisbane is such a beautiful city. How did you end up in Brisbane? I went to Sydney in 2016 and I had a great experience there, but it was only for a month. But that was when I decided to, uh, that I wanted to go back to Australia. And um, I met, I met someone, I met someone in Brazil that was going to Brisbane and we kind of started dating. And that's why I decided to choose Brisbane because he was already here studying at Kaplan. So that's why, yeah, that's why we ended up staying here. And then I decided, okay, I want to, I want to study as well. So I choose Kaplan for my master's. What a nice story. You followed your heart. You've had a complete change of life. You immigrated countries. Yeah. Well, good good choice. I'm very happy. Well, Louisa, thinking about staying and and getting a job and, and the visa and planning a life, you've actually got a career in supply chain in with mining. And mining is so important in Queensland. Can you tell us a bit about what you do and the types of mining and the equipment that you are involved with? I started at the company I work for as a um, program support analyst. It was on a casual basis. And I was, I was kind of helping them to develop programs and supporting them through activities, all supply chain related. But then um, my role started to develop like pretty quickly. And of course, it's a small company, so I had to do different things. And I ended up doing marketing activities, still the supply chain ones and project management. So it was, was quite, a, quite of, um, kind of a mixture between different roles. And then... They decided to promote me to a full-time basis after I finished my master's to this hybrid role, which involves still acting in the mining sector, but specific things in marketing and in supply chain that any marketing or supply chain professional will do. Supplier management, um, data analytics, social media and digital campaigns. So one of my first projects was launching the new website even though it was in mining i had to use all my knowledge in marketing itself to develop this tool and bring the concepts and making sure that the project was well managed and we achieved all the goals that we defined um but of course um the mining sector is dynamic it's complex complex so I had, I had to face many challenges that I had no idea because in Brazil, all my background was um, based on banking or beauty companies. So I never had experience in mining before. And it's been, well, 
such a big challenge in learnings every day. I still don't know 100% about the sector, and that's something that it keeps motivating me to learn more and develop more skills, different skills to achieve what we've been uh, planning to. So it's a big challenge. That's the beauty of working in a small place where you get so many different roles and you can really move around. You did everything from supply chain, supplier management, to marketing, to website development. Which was your, your, which surprised you the most that you liked the most? I had a bunch of experience in supply chain and marketing back in Brazil, but having to apply all this knowledge in a different sector, in a different country, speaking a different language, that was absolutely surprising for me and how well I could manage those different uh, activities. Um, a funny, a funny, not funny, interesting thing is that I learned at Kaplan, one of my subjects was um, data analytic, analytics, business intelligence. And I absolutely love it. And I've, I, told, I told my boss at the, by, at the time that that was pretty impressive, like how important was knowing all the results and defining KPIs and basic and, you know, the standard things that we didn't have because it, it was a small company. And that was one of the things that I, I had no experience with, but we could develop and implement in the company. And nowadays it's one of my main, my main roles at the company, dealing with all the business intelligence and providing insights and um, creating dashboards and everyone uses it and it's pretty pretty handy for us in a daily basis. And you find the transition into mining from banking, do you, do you like the mining sector? Is that something that you want to stay with? Oh, so many possibilities and so many different uh, equipments that I had no idea they were available. <laughs> And the technical part of it, I feel like I will never learn everything there's possible to learn. I cannot control that. But it's exciting at the same time because it's a sector that keeps growing. And it's, of course, it's super important for Australia. And I feel excited and, you know, it's a privilege to me to be part of it. And it's not, I'm not a mining worker itself, but I work in the sector and as a woman working mining and being able to achieve results, it's been really good and it's a very exciting sector. And look, I'm, I'm curious as well, is there an opportunity for you to leave Brisbane eventually and maybe go to a mine site or is going to a mine site something that would interest you? Yeah, sometimes we do. Sometimes we go to visit customers because most of our customers are either miners or uh, contractors. We have we have the uniform. We have the safety equipment. So we go. We have this opportunity to actually see what we sell. And um, of course, it's not only about products. We, we do offer some services as well. But it's important. Um, my bosses they make sure they want to make sure that we understand the value and where we are in. In that, so it's pretty exciting. Louisa, it's so 
impressive and, and interesting that you're excelling in a role that seems very multifaceted. So you're involved in supply chain management, you're involved in marketing, data analysis, these very different things. How do you keep track of and manage your deliverables, what, what you're expected to produce? It, it, I feel like that could be uh, difficult to keep track of. It is. It is, but I'm very organized. <laughs> That's one of my uh, best skills. So I, I have my planning. Um, I use a kind of a software to organize myself. But today, nowadays, we have many tools that we can use to organize our activities. And when I don't know what's priority, I simply ask. And I can flag when I don't have enough time to achieve everything that is expected. But it, it demands a lot of personal organization and to make sure you're going to deliver what you are expected to. But, but yeah, it's pretty challenging. Are there any um, softwares or, or tips or techniques that you'd recommend for somebody who's dealing with multitasking and, and competing priorities like yourself? So the key for me is not losing yourself, thinking that you are overwhelmed. Just writing down, you can even have a, like a, a notebook and writing down everything you have to do. Uh, these softwares or online platforms available, they're mainly a notebook online that you can organize yourself and put some different colors and it's good for your brain and you feel like it, you know, you're not keeping everything in your mind and you can kind of relax and focus on what you really have to do. I, I use the planner. It's called planner from Microsoft, but there are many options that are available. If you, if you Google like organize or to do lists, you're going to find many, many options. Of course, there's so many productivity apps and, and even, even just pencil and paper, I think people find what works for them best, right? Yeah, working from home now, I've just like to keep everything on the cloud because if I'm away or if I'm at the office or if I'm back home, I know I have everything online now. But of course, there is also there's always paper and pen. Yeah, and your your company, Valenhold, uh, although it's it's not a large company in itself. It is very spread out, correct? Uh, there are offices in in three countries, uh, or or sorry, in in Brisbane, in Hong Kong, and Beijing. So, how do you maintain a close knit, a, a well functioning team with so much distance? Yes, it, it's distance. It's language. It's culture. We do face many challenges, but at the same time, um, we are we have our own Valley Hope culture. So we talk a lot, a lot. We have a lot of meetings, and we have at our office here in Australia. And one of the um, requirements to work in Brisbane with us is understanding uh, the multicultural uh, mindset, having this in you. And then being open to talk to different people, manage different uh, issues. There is gonna you're gonna have barriers. Language is a top one, 
because of course not everyone is native English speaker and the way we communicate is very differently like South Americans and North Americans is already super different and Australians and Asians it's even like for me was a big change and we talk a lot we have our meetings um, we set up the goals we want to achieve together so we feel that we are pretty close because we, we have this value whole culture and we value each other and that's pretty clear for everyone i'm keen to find out it is really important to reach out to other cultures to understand the diversities and you've you've really hit the nail on the head. There's a big difference between, say, South Americans and North Americans and from Australia. So how do you find, what are the things that you really enjoy doing in Australia that you didn't expect that you would enjoy? That's a good question. Um, well, I would say going outdoors. Because that was a nice thing back in Brazil. I was pretty an indoor person. But here, everything, it's, so beautiful and safe and cheap like you can you have many options that you can go and do for free if you like so now i'm more into hiking or um, even i tried to learn how to surf Uh, the discipline was not the best though so (laughs) i didn't succeed on that but i think that will be my, my 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 new hobby that's really good and Karen, you're you're an immigrant too as well. I think my first real impression of Australia, how different it was from even the United States, was when I got here, the police didn't wear guns. And then it dawned on me that how safe it is that no one has to wear a gun. Karen, what did, what did you think when you first came back to Australia after so long in California? What did you notice? Yeah, well, I actually came to Australia uh, many times as a kid because my parents are both from from Melbourne. So I came here many times, but uh, we would always go and visit my grandparents in rural Queensland. And so I had this picture of Australia from, let's say, 30 years ago in rural Queensland, where everybody looked exactly like me. And there were many different Kieran's in the town too, because everyone was from Irish ancestry. (laughs) Um, Well, actually, the thing that surprised me that I was so happy about was when I got to Sydney, and this could be said about Brisbane as well, there's a lot of diversity here. So I I was just really happy after, after a lot of travel that in Australia, you can still find food from around the world, people from around the world, any language you want to learn, it's, it's here. And I think I think that's something great about the the country that we can all enjoy. Luisa, did you have any sort of cultural changes that you went through when you were actually moving to Australia? Well, it was a a, a shock for me. I had many changes, and every time I go back home, I have to remind myself that I'm not in Australia because I'm so used to holding my phone on the street, like feeling safe. Of course, Brazil had had many issues, safety related and lifestyle related. It's completely different. I think that here we all feel so comfortable and so safe. And that's something that I, I kind of change in myself. I'm more relaxed. And I feel like when I was in Brazil, I, I wanted to dress up and be like all pretty all the time. 
because that's our culture. Like, if you go to work, we have to be presentable. And what I'm trying to say is that there are many high expectations there related to things that kind of doesn't matter if you're well-dressed. Or, for example, if you go to a restaurant in Brazil that it's fancy, you wouldn't go in if you're not super well-dressed or if you have a lot of money. And here, this sense of uh, respecting everyone and treating everyone as equal, that is a big one for me. That is something, actually, I was very happily surprised by in Australia as well, the egalitarianism. And I was very uh, interested to see the first time I ever went to the Sydney Opera House, there were people there in shorts and flip-flops, and I would have never expected to see that in such a, an iconic opera house. But here, it's it's normal, and it's part of just sort of enjoying life, is, is that sort of all walks of life can actually come and, and enjoy themselves. Louisa, was your job hunt here in Australia, was was that a difficult one, your, your original sort of search for employment? Um, so I set up a strategy. So I knew I wanted to have a full-time job, but to get there, I was happy to start as an intern, working for free, unpaid internship while I was studying. So I took that time that I couldn't work full-time to do some internships, work as a volunteer, just to explore a little bit of the Australian way to work and starting to actually um, knowing what a professional in Australia would look, look like. So when I was about one year to graduate, I got this part-time role at the company I am at the moment. I started as a casual, then I evolved to a part-time role, and then I achieved the full-time uh, job I am at the moment. So it was kind of a journey. And um, that's something that you, as an international student, might be willing to do. Because it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be the first role you apply for that they're going to call you and you're going to get it. Of course, it can happen. For me, I was pretty clear that you, I had to work hard to achieve a positive outcome. And also, I applied for many, many jobs. I think it was around 40. And these guys were the only one that called me for an interview. And that I, that's the biggest um, challenge, being called for an interview. Because once you're called... Then you have your, you know, your opportunity to show yourself and show that you are willing to do whatever it takes. That's such a common story to have, have the rejection. So you had 40, say 40 rejections before you landed the job. Yes. How did you keep yourself in a good mood and keep applying for the jobs over and over? It's just discipline and knowing that it, it wouldn't be easy, but I couldn't give up. And at some point, someone would call me and I didn't give up. And it's important keeping in your mind that it's sometimes you're not the right fit for the role, but it can happen. You cannot give up. You're going to get it eventually. That is such an important message. So many people do give up or they, they, it, it hurts them. So they, 
do something, they give up on their dreams and they do something different. So I'm glad you stayed on track and got what you wanted. It's, it's wonderful to have that positive outlook and wonderful to see it working out so well. You're in a really impressive role and, and obviously doing it, handling these very diverse responsibilities very well. The, I'm interested in, in what your, your future looks like as we're very grateful, actually. Louisa recently shared a role from her company with the Kaplan Business School alumni community. So we posted something from her company was hiring and posted it on the LinkedIn group. And that's great. And so now you're you're in a position where you can actually help others who are on the same sort of journey. What, what do you see for yourself in, in the future now that you've accomplished some of these things? Yeah, the company is expanding and that's one of the benefits of working in a small company. Sometimes students, they want to work in big fancy companies and they think it's the best experience they can have. But in small companies, they do have potential and that's what's been happening with the company I work for. They are expanding and I feel like I can grow with them. It's a bit difficult and tricky thinking about the future without knowing what's going to happen because we have the visa and we got to wait and see what's going to happen with us. If we're going to stay, if we're going to get a sponsorship, if of course we're going to get the PR eventually. So I cannot tell you exactly what my future looks like. I would love to stay at a company I work for in a, maybe migrating for more management position or keeping expanding my uh, specialist role. This week, I had a chat with my boss and he told me that he wants me to go for more um, for the business uh, perspective developments, like new projects, develop of new products. So that's where I see myself doing more business development and not taking care of the daily operation anymore. I think that's so true that small companies can have so much to offer in terms of career growth. And, and that's often overlooked, but, but you're very right about that. Uh, in fact, sorry to interrupt. No, go. Uh, after three or four months that I was working there, um, my boss invited me to go to China. So I went there. I spent three weeks, two or three weeks, and knowing the team, and knowing the suppliers was pretty fantastic. That's amazing. Where, where did you go? I went to Beijing, Shanghai, and some different cities, uh, small ones that we have manufacturers there. Wow. So that, that's an opportunity that, that not many companies would, would actually give. That, that's really great. Yeah. And how do you think you can tell? when you're, say, applying for jobs, how do you think you can tell if a company holds that sort of opportunity? If a small company is one that will, will grow or will have career uh, progression opportunities? I feel like it, you have some options and working in big companies can offer you massive developments. Um, it can provide you trainings and you can develop your skills. And of course, being transferred to different cities, small companies at the other hand, 
gives you more exposure to what's really going on with the business. You have access to the owner. You can share your ideas and eventually you can even go to China and have meetings in a different country. English is not my first language. Chinese, far away from being my language, so I didn't know much. But it was a great experience and so, so worth it. What was your favorite experience in China? And as it was kind of a business trip, I had access to all the business um, side of the of the Chinese culture, and the banquets were amazing because they have all the the tables, the room tables, and a lot of food, and there's where you sit is defined you have your own seat and where you sit means something to the person that is hosting the dinner or the lunch and they have all the oh, sorry i forgot I just a minute the toast toast yeah <laughs> because you're helping me out <laughs> so there are many toasts and uh, like traditionally toasts that you you have to give you have to receive a lot of drinking, alcohol, <laughs> a lot of drinking. So for me as a Brazilian, it wasn't much an issue. Warm beer, though, I do not recommend. Well, you've got to be very careful with Mao Tai as well. It's uh, the, the Chinese cachaça, except <laughs> <So> stronger. <laughs> well, again, I had baju. They call it baju. It's like almost 50% alcohol. It's pretty strong. What cuisine did you like the most? Was it Southern Chinese or the Northern Chinese? Because you went all over. Yeah, well, I loved the, all the fry, fried stuff. I've, I've been to a Mongolian restaurant, though. That was my favorite. And we had hot pot. We do have here in Brisbane some, some restaurants, that, but it, it's not the same. The one that I had there was amazing and was definitely my favorite meal of the trip. It's good. I, I used to do a lot of business travel too, and you'd come back and you would learn something from where you went, even though it was only for business. And you didn't really get to see how the the average person lived. You always yeah. learn something. You always come back with a favorite story, favorite food. Uh, and, yeah, and, and it was funny it. because I was I was expecting to be pretty different from where I came from, but most of all, I felt that it's kind of similar. Like the buildings, the cities, um, the Chinese, they're super, like they're warm. They treat you like family, as a friend. I wasn't expecting that. And I was positively surprised with that part of the trip as well. Well, now that you're, I hope you, you see you going into that business development role that you mentioned earlier. How How is that going to take shape? Are you going to have to do more travel or is that going to be more through... Uh, computer and desktop investigation? Where does that lie? It's going to be a lot of research and expanding even more the technical side of it and learning more about different uh, market options, maybe potential customers. So it's going to it's gonna involve maybe more business trip as well, but mainly more research and analysis, which I love. I'm a huge Excel fan. 
I think that was spoken very well, Louisa, like like a business development professional yeah. <laughs> as well. <laughs> and I guess one thing I, I'd like to know is what part of yourself are you interested to cultivate for the future? So personally or professionally, is there something that you're working on that you would like to build or grow for the next year or two? Well, so many, <laughs> so many things that I've, I'm very hard, hard on myself. So I always think that I can do more and learn more and deliver more. So um, now that I'm going for this analytical side of the company, uh, I want to develop all my analytical skills and that involves software knowledge. Uh, the company is also buying a new, um, they call it ERP software. So I love being involved in implementation and it's always tricky and complicated. So that's something that I want, I want to develop during this year. At the same time, I want to keep developing language because of, I believe that that never ends. I, I understand that I'm never going to be a native speaker, but uh, it's something that it's important. And I want to be able to communicate better with my coworkers, with my bosses, with the community. I believe that's another factor that uh, it's going to be one of my biggest focus during this year as well. Communication skills are important even for uh, native English speakers. So we still, it, communication is always important. So I congratulate you for that. That's a good goal to have to try to interact. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think that's absolutely right. And sometimes those who focus on it the most, such as non-native speakers, often end up developing the best skills if, they, if they're forced to sort of reevaluate how they communicate. It can often lead to really strong communication skills. So definitely don't be don't be hard on yourself. You're a great communicator, and I think this is a great podcast interview yeah. as well. Oh, thank you. And I feel that for most of international students, language is a big one. They feel like, oh, I have this skill. I know how to do this role, for example. But I, I do not speak English very well. So I'm not, not even going to apply for this role or I'm not going to give it a try because they don't, they don't, they might not want me because I cannot speak the language properly. And during these years here, I could see that Australians, they kind of don't care about it. They're more interested in your attitude more than if you can speak perfectly well the English. Louisa, thanks so much for being on the podcast tonight. The the Kaplan Community Podcast is really an initiative that's reaching out to current students and alumni and the whole Kaplan community. It's meant to inform and inspire. And your story is a great one. It's really great that you've told it and, and shared it with us. So thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. The Kaplan Community Podcast presents an opportunity to think about things differently by listening to a diversity of opinions from our Kaplan Business School alumni, Karen Howard and me, Dr. Richard Stager. The podcast is published every Wednesday night. Search for the Kaplan Community Podcast on your favorite podcast player, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. We invite you to find out more about our guest speakers from our LinkedIn group. Search for the Kaplan Business School Alumni Community. Please rate each episode to help us reach more listeners.